0: Hello everybody, this is your host, Steve Dawson. Welcome to the One Life Podcast, Season One, featuring Jim Burns, brought to you by music makers and soul shakers. This podcast is completely ad-free and listener-supported. Please check out all of our episodes at makersandshakerspodcast.com. And if you enjoy what we do and would like to support it, you can make a one-time donation or subscribe to our Patreon page. Just follow the donate button on the top right of makersandshakerspodcast.com. Now, just a reminder that what you're about to hear is unscripted on all counts. Jim Burns is speaking off the top of his head, and all musicians are improvising at all times. This was all performed live over two days at the Warehouse Studio in Vancouver, and was recorded there by Sheldon Zaharko, and mixed by Steve Dawson in Nashville, Tennessee. Guitars and pedal steel by Steve Dawson, drums and percussion by Gary Craig, Bass and Mandolin by Jeremy Holmes, and Keyboards by Chris Jestrin. I'd just like to thank Jim Burns for agreeing to do a crazy project like this. And without further ado, here is the final episode number 10 of One Life Season 1 with Jim Burns.
1: Just in that time of beginning to work with uh, with Steve um, in the, in the studio, it's just his, his approach to uh, this stuff. I mean, he just he brings out the best in you without, you know. So some, some guys, some producers, like well, sort of beat you to death, you know, and like that's just perfect. But let's do it again, and, and I, I don't, and they can just weary out. But with Steve, I mean, he he makes you want to. Do better <laughs> without uh, without cajoling you, without leaning on you, and you just think, uh, you yeah, let me try that one more time because it's not him saying you can do it. It's he, he instills this confidence in me where I can think, hey, I can do that better. This is the thing about having a producer. It's got to be somebody that that you trust, you know, so much, because really, in my own mind, if I were to produce something, I on and on I go. There's there's always that point where I think, I don't know. I think I think I could probably do it better, but somebody like that you can trust, that you know, I know when he says that was good, I know it was good. I know he's not trying to sugar-coated he's not you know if it wasn't good he'd let me know but he also lets me know when it is good enough and then I can quit beating myself up and it's just that 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 approach has been is so helpful to me to go into the studio because I feel I feel safe and I feel comfortable and I when you feel safe and comfortable that that's that's the way that I guess some people need to feel uncomfortable to do their best work I like to feel a, a certain ease and uh, comfort, and knowing that uh, I got somebody that I can really rely, whose, whose ears I can rely on. Now you know when we first did uh, that first show that I did together with uh, with Steve uh, was over at the big Armory over here for, for a, a group. I guess it's his. His cousin or his uncle or something, anyway, has, has this group. And we were just putting on a show for them. And it was a, a, really a good evening. But, uh, of course, being in, involved with uh, Long John Baldry. You know, John was living here in Vancouver for, for many years. And we got to be good friends. Bald John Laundry, as I like to call him. <laughs> anyway, not only, uh, you know, playing blues music together, but we also did some, uh, you know, he was a, a fine actor. And he had, of course, that tremendous voice, you know, the... Baldry's voice was uh, made quite a living with, not only as a singer, but uh, we, we did some uh, cartoon work together, and uh, he did commercials, and I did commercials, and we would run into each other, run one another. Uh, you know, he had been, uh, of course, a huge star in Britain going back into the early days of the blues. I mean, you can, there's there's that show, The Rock and Roll Circus, you know, it's him and the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and he's like, he's the star of the show. Uh, and uh, he had, you know, great hits over there, and uh, till he had that, that, the big sort of, and you know, he was uh, known as the, the blues man. But then he did this song "Let the Heartaches Begin," which sort of a pop, and it was a big hit. And uh, he started traveling the well, world, came to the states, and uh, was traveling here and there and everywhere. He was living in Toronto for a while, and then eventually ended up. He and his uh, here in vancouver exactly the year i can, i'm trying to think of what it was but we you know like i say we became we became very very good friends and uh, we did we did shows together or we'd run into one another in the studios and uh, and then when when john got uh ill uh he uh you know we, we, i spent quite a bit of time with him in the hospital uh lindsey mitchell and i uh would go to visit uh and, uh, you know, he had kind of, you know, he had been, a few years before, or earlier than that, in the late 90s, he had gotten quite sick on tour over in Europe and uh, was in the hospital. And, you know, uh, Rod Stewart, you know, who, who uh, John had given, you know, had met him on a, he was playing harmonica in the tube station in London, and uh, John gave him a job in his band. And Rod sort of never forgot that it was, uh, when when John, when he had heard about John's uh, illness over there in, in Europe, he, you know, he was in a, hotel, a hospital and in a ward, and the Rod was not having that. And you know, he's noted, of course, it's one of the cheapest guys in the world, but he foot he put John in a, in a private, you know, a hospital in, in London, and paid for the whole thing. So uh, you can't say anything bad about that guy when it comes to uh, his relationship with with Mr. Baldry, I'll tell you. And uh, as a uh, he. he When we were over there, well, John's brother and sister were uh, at the hospital as well. His brother Roger and his sister Margaret, and uh, so we spent a lot. We would go over and visit and kind of got to know them a little bit as well. And uh, Rod sent a beautiful handwritten little note uh, as as things as John was because uh, he was he was not well. He had sort of run out of gas. That's the way I put it. His. His battery, you couldn't, you couldn't put another charge into it, and so he slowly was kind of slipping away. Tell you, this is a beautiful story. I think Uh, Lindsey Mitchell, my good friend and great guitar player, of course, he, you're a legendary guy around here in Vancouver. Of course, was uh, one of the head writers and the lead guitarist in the the great rock group Prism. but uh, we do a lot of work together. He's a great blues guitar. He play, he's a great guitar player. He's a he's a musician. He's got music in him that comes out. Now, now Lindsay had been was born in London and moved with his parents uh, to 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 Canada. I guess when he was well, they came over twice when he was eight and again when he was ten. But anyway, he basically grew up uh, here and uh, became Canadian. But he still had a lot of family and, and his connections in in London and. Uh, after uh, John had passed away, uh, his brother and sister went back uh, to London. But and uh, John's ashes were were here, and, and uh, Lindsay was going to visit uh, uh, some some of his family in London. Was flying to London, and he had he, he wanted to to take the ashes over and give them to uh, to Margaret, and, uh, his John's sister. And when they got to, you know they got uh, flying over there, well he. Lindsay was flying coach, but uh, he had John's ashes with him, and he convinced the purser on the plane to uh, put John's ashes up in the first-class cabin. He made sure that John uh, flew home first-class. That's a first-class move. Three score and ten. That's what we're promised. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> and the rest of it, well, I guess I'm swimming in gravy now. Because uh, we've done that, man. What a what a what a trip it's been. Going back to piano lessons from the nuns. Almost dying. Taking piano lessons from the nuns and singing in the church choir. Learning to play the guitar. And, and some of those education that I got, man. Just uh, some of the shows we were able to see back in back home when I first really got into that that music thing. I mean, number one, first concert I ever saw was Elvis Presley when he was not even 21 years old yet. And, and then, of course, uh, here in the Greater Bethlehem Baptist Church Choir. Whoa! And uh, some of the stuff we used to—I remember seeing first time I saw you know some of these great guitar players that people just to emulate all around the world. Well, we saw him up close and personal. Albert King, first time I saw Albert King, who lived over in Lovejoy, Illinois, also known as Brooklyn, Illinois, was uh, was playing at a birthday party at the United Auto Workers Union House at Goodfellow on Natural Bridge in North St. Louis. It was a party put on by the Five Aces Social Club. <laughs> you know, Albert back at that time was working construction driving a, a bulldozer on construction sites and then flying around the world, playing on weekends. And finally, in 1966, he signed that contract with, uh, well, he had made some great records in St. Louis on the Bobbin label, you know, he and that little Milton and Oliver Sain owned. And, uh, but they just weren't going anywhere until he signed with Stax, and came out with it, born under a bad sign, and he became, you know, worldwide superstar. But uh, we knew him as a guy that Lived over on the east side, played around, <laughs> playing birthday parties, and of course, uh, you know Chuck Berry lived up in the uh, North St. Louis here, not far from where I was, and he got pretty famous pretty fast. And then the guys, that, you know, people that you, that you haven't heard of, uh, unless you're real deep blues fans, uh, a guy like Henry Townsend, who I've known, just uh, you know, this, this is a guy that recorded, made his first records in the 1920s. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Man died at the age of 96, or just approaching his 96th birthday. He died about the, just a couple weeks before, it. and was a good friend to everybody in St. Louis. Man, he, you know, he would show you joy. Look on the piano. Look on the guitar. Just uh, what a wonderful cat. Guys like that. Uh, oh, the people that we got to know and the music we got to hear. It's just something that you know it, it stays with you lives in your heart and uh, it keeps you going sometimes and then over the years of course now you know just recently uh hooking up uh, these last uh 15 years now with uh, guys like steve and and, and playing with it's so, it's so great playing with younger cats you know uh, it's great when you you know the guys are your contemporaries but it's so great to get that that fresh energy and, uh, to keep him moving in the new places because i uh, you know i'm getting along but i but i still got something in me i believe you know we're kind of picking and choosing a little bit more you know we get out and still do some really good shows and uh haven't been doing as much work in in film i still do the odd one i get uh, i'll get a call but I, you know i get calls for some stuff that i just don't i just don't want to do because it doesn't feel you know, I've gotten to a point where I, I really want it to say something. I want it to have some meat on it. And uh, so we're always looking for that stuff. And, uh, you know, I love it when it comes around. I guess the big thrill for me these days is, is every year I'm doing a, a live stage thing. Because that's that's what I come out of. With, that's when my acting chops came out of the theater. You know, starting out, uh, going way back to early days in high school, but we, we, you know, did some award-winning stuff and uh, worked uh, this summer of uh, 64 before we went up to New York. I belonged to a rep company uh, at Webster, but back then it was Webster College, now it's Webster University. It was Impact Theater, we, we did, a you know, in the park and we did, a, what shows did we do that summer? We did a Taming of the Shrew, in which I played Biondello. We did Othello. We did uh, JB by Altobar McLeish, and the importance of being earnest, and some of the stuff I just worked. At, you know, it was it was a rep company, so I had parts in some of the plays, and the rest of the time I, you know, learned how to sew costumes, and learned how to build sets, and paint sets, and be stage manager, and uh, it's such a such a complex and uh, rewarding rewarding thing. I, I still find just magic in theater. When I go to a when I go to a theater. When that curtain comes up, I'm just I'm transfixed. You know, it's yeah, I get so many memories and such a, such a great great time. I mean, I've been I, even, I go to the opera a lot now because I love the theatricality of it, the sets and the ah, oh, it's just magic for me. And every year now we get to uh, we've been doing a we've got a play called Ba Humbug, and it's based, of course, on uh, A Christmas Carol by uh, Charles Dickens. We tell we tell the story but we, we have set it in the, the downtown east side of Vancouver, which uh, some claim is the poorest postal code in this uh, fine country of ours. And uh, we have, I play Scrooge and uh, it's, uh, I, I run a pawn shop on Hastings and uh, I'm a bit of a nasty old crook. Uh, I own all the, you know, the SRO hotels and I'm a champion at rent eviction. And uh, we get to have—I get to have my epiphany every night, and it's—it's uh, it's a beautiful thing to take that journey. We we uh, we use some of the you know traditional Christmas music, but we also uh, use a lot of uh, contemporary music as well. And uh, for example, when I first begin to have my epiphany, the the song "Hurt" by the Nine Inch Nails, but of course uh, Johnny Cash did a great version of it, and I realized just uh, how. How badly I wasted my life, and I start to see the love around me, and uh, we try to we try to spread that message every. We do that every Christmas down at the uh, uh, Fay and Milton Wong uh, Experimental Theater in the old Woodward's building downtown. Very nice. Uh, it's it's it fills me with with love every year. I mean, we got to, and we, we bring in we've got a kids choir from the Saint James uh, the church down there at uh, um, at Cordova and Gore. And they, they have a, a music program for the kids that grow up down in that neighborhood, a choir, and they come in every year. And man, I'll tell you, the actors we can be stinking it up on stage, but when those kids start singing the carols of the bells, it's Christmas, man. <laughs> Magic, you know. This it's something that uh, you know I look I look so forward to doing that every year, and and hopefully, you know, we're working on a few uh, film projects ourselves. My my daughter is in the, is in the business, and. Uh, We've got some scripts and uh, we've got ideas and big plans to, you know, got series and a new, new TV series maybe and a feature film and meanwhile just uh, having so much uh, pleasure, just playing music when I can and getting out and doing doing what I can do. It's uh, trying, you know, looking back on those days, some of the wonderful experiences we've had. I'll tell you, th- this was a this was a good one at the Commodore Ballroom. Uh, like I said, I I, I first met Muddy in, back in 1963 at Slick's Lakeside Club over in Eagle Park, Illinois, and then saw him again when I was going to school in Boston, and then I got the chance to to open for him in the 70s a couple of times, and um, the last time we saw him, he was playing at the at the Commodore here in Vancouver, and uh, and I did a, my band we did a little set and Robert Cray. Uh, who I go way back with, uh, you know, Robert and Curtis Salgado, we we go way, way back. Robert was on the show, and Muddy. And now next door uh, to the Commodore is the Orpheum, and the show there that night was uh, Charlie Pride, Country Charlie Pride, you know? And I thought, uh, I mean, these two guys were from, say 60, you know, one from uh, Rolling Fork, Mississippi, and one from Sledge, Mississippi. 60 miles as a crow flies. But musically, they seem to be a world apart, you know. But like I said, you know, Muddy loved his country, and uh, apparently Charlie loved his blues. I I knew the the promoter of the uh, the Charlie Pride show, and when they were finished early, of course, in the big theater, and we were playing, you know, at the Commodore, where we were going until late. And I arranged for Charlie Pride to come over, and backstage at the old beat up, nasty old. (laughs) Backstage at the Comma the way it used to be. I introduced Charlie Pride to Muddy Waters, and uh, Charlie Pride was like, he was gobsmacked. Muddy Waters, who? And Muddy was, he said, Oh man, I love that song you wrote about. Are you singing about going to San Antonio? <laughs> so they had a little moment musically, but then they started, they just got to talking, and what they talked about was baseball. <laughs> yeah, baseball. You know, Charlie had was was signed with was uh, worked with the I believe it was the the White Sox organization he he played minor league ball that's how he ended up in in Montana playing minor league ball and uh, then he kind of hurt his arm and, and he never made it past the triple uh, a minors uh, but uh, he he developed his uh, his musical chops and Muddy had been uh, apparently uh, he loved his baseball as many guys do down south, and he was a, a good country ball player, from what I from what I understand, from what I've read about and heard about from different people. And uh, that was that was a magic moment, I got to say. I hear these two guys from deep down in Mississippi that have such different musical styles, just uh, talking about what they loved, baseball. <laughs> oh man, I mean, just when you look back, man, don't want to look back too much, so. I'm still looking forward and uh, got so much uh, there's so much potential left to do uh, hopefully we're gonna be able to do a, another great uh, recording I think I got one more in me you know like I say we have done some great stuff and you know taking chances when we did Wind in the Wires the the country and Western album that I did and, and then the St. Louis album our most recent one uh, the uh, a Long Hot Summer Days, where we got uh, some of my favorite soul music and uh, a couple of new tunes that I wrote, a great tune that Steve wrote. and So hopefully we'll carry on with that. And just try to spread the love, you know, just the love of this music and, and, and try to explain what it's done for me in terms of uh, finding my way out of the pain, into the peace. You dig what I'm saying? I hope you do. Thank you. There's a one thing I've learned. It's not what you say, it's what you do. <laughs> and like I always like to say, you know, my, my mother would always tell me no matter no matter what you know, you'd phone her up or when she'd write you a letter the last thing she would always say just remember try and be good to each other. Can you do that for me? So that's the message I want to to spread to everybody. You know, hope you love the music. Hope you love the what you learn from the acting. But uh, whatever you do, just find it in your heart to just to be good to one another. listening to this episode of one life you'll find all the episodes up now for your enjoyment on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts